What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to episode number 148 of the VK Bros. With the VK Bros, Jason, and the birthday boy, Alex Von Cannell. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. I'm going to stop there. How you going, dude? 2nd of June is Alex's birthday for anyone who cares at home. Yeah, send me money. Yeah, send Bitcoin. Send Bitcoin. Yeah. Send I'll put Bitcoin. our Bitcoin address in the uh, in the comments below. Um, there's heaps going on this week, so if you want to get started, so, Alex, you well, kick it off. Okay, first, before we got on here tonight, because it is my birthday, right? So be- before we came on, I thought I'd play myself a couple of games, right? Video games. I'm playing. I'm currently playing Hell Let Loose. It's like a World War II simulator. I think I've mentioned it on the show before. They've just gone through a massive update, and this absolute bullshit thing happens... It's happened to me twice now. I go as the commander. I am effectively in charge of like, well, probably five or six squad leaders and they all have like five or six people under them. I mm-hmm. went as the commander. I'm one guy. I I have to, I have to, it's like chess pieces, right? I have to move them around the map and I have to drop resources. I have to like, uh, I, I have to like make sure that they're in the right formation. I need to provide supplies for them. I need to drop, um, bombs on particular spots and this is the second time where I have won as the commander and as the clock is ticking to, 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 to show the last moments of the game connection lost to server <laughs> twice twice and it's hard to be the commander like people don't like it because you get abused if you do a bad job but I've been doing right. a good job and all that XP Gone. <laughs> it is infuriating, and there's yeah. a lot of people on the uh, on the groups who are whinging about it. I just don't understand like how how stuff can get broken so broken so easily. It just it, it's infuriating because basically I played for forty five minutes for nothing, for nothing. Because it's not about not just about the game. I want the points because as as you get the points, you upgrade your kit. You know, yeah, you get a higher up, level. Of course, it's leveling up. So anyway. This is th- this is how AI is going to end up killing everyone. They get everyone addicted to the internet, and then they just take it away from you all, and everyone will just will just die. No, not even just take like just take little bits of it away. Like, yeah, yeah, to make it worse. That's more yeah. infuriating than not having it. Because if I didn't have it, I'd just go outside and play. Yeah, <laughs> like we used to. Um, How's Origin? Origin was fantastic. Well, actually, you know what? No, no, I'm going to change that. Um, as a Queensland supporter, Origin was the most exciting shit game of Origin I've ever seen. Interesting. I didn't and, watch the first half. Yeah, okay. So, here's my brief recap of it. Now, the term Queensland spirit was bandied, it always gets bandied around around Origin time, and New South Welshmen absolutely hate it, and the the story, the, the thing about Origin, it's all about storylines. Every year there's right. a storyline that comes into it. So they always talk about Queensland spirit and they talk about Queensland loyalty. And so the storylines going into the game was Queensland went back on their loyalty thing because they dropped Dane Gagai, who is like one of our best players over the last decade, to bring in Hamiso uh, Tabuai Fido. Heavily criticised selection. Yeah, Hammer scored the first and last tries. Like, right, okay. killed it. Absolutely killed it. Yeah. Um, in my mind, even in the storyline in my head was that I thought that Queensland was going to 
we're, we're going to win. I, I was very, very confident about it because our forward pack was literally the strongest forward pack that I feel that Queensland's ever really had. Um, right. when, you, when you add the whole pack as well as the bench, it was the strongest I've ever seen. And then at, at the beginning of the game, um, New South Wales did exactly what, what... I mean, I thought they were going to do it, but I think most of the, like, the pundits thought they were going to do it too, which is their left edge was going to attack our right edge because our right edge was where Daly Cherry Evans defends. And traditionally, he's not a very good defender. And that's always a bit of a weak spot for us. So they were always going to attack down that edge. And uh, Tom Gilbert, who is the right side edge back rower, was absolutely killing it on defense. Absolutely killing it. For 10 minutes until he popped his shoulder out and he was gone for the rest of the game. So, so when I'm talking about this like amazing forward pack we've got, so he pops his shoulder out, he's gone for the rest of the game. That caused an immediate reshuffle where it won because you don't, we weren't carrying second rollers on the bench, sure. right? You're carrying props. So one of our props had to go onto the edge, which already means you need to prop, prop means Prop means propeller, right? Basically, yeah, <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Anyway, so he starts defending out the edge. Then next thing you know, David Fafida, who's the left side edge back rower, he gets a HIA and he's gone for 15 minutes. So all of a sudden, like that that specialist defending position, we both of them were gone. And anyway, so there was like, you know, it was very back and forth. Queensland was up. There was some dubious calls both ways. Like the refereeing to me was was absolutely terrible. And it's just an example. Where this, yeah, well, it's just this. where the game is at at the moment. There was like yeah. three just weak, non-origin-like penalties blown straight in the beginning yeah. of the game. And I was like, that's Ref a bad should be game. replaced by ChatGPT. Yeah, yeah, ChatGPT would, would do a better job, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, so then Queensland's leading at halftime. It goes into the second half, and New South Wales starts coming back into the game. By, again, some dubious calls, but whatever. They were 50-50, and they went New South Wales way, and that's totally fine. And then I'll let me paint the last, the picture of the last 10 minutes for you. New South Wales has just gone up 18-16, so they've just gone ahead. Tom Flegler from Queensland gets sin-binned for literally, like, they called it a shoulder charge. He just made a routine tackle where he was standing, like, body up, so it was like chest to chest, and there was a, there was a head clash there with Tom Trevojevic, so Trevojevic had to go off for HIA, but they've head clashed. They sent him to the sin-bin for that. It shouldn't even be a penalty, right? They sent him to the sin-bin. So 10 minutes off... This is, a, this is with about 12 minutes to go. They send a guy off for 10 minutes in the hardest game in, in like, the world of rugby league. International rugby league is not as tough as State of Origin. So yeah. they send a guy off for 10 minutes. And then what happens is, uh, out of nowhere, Queensland does what Queensland always does. They pull tries out of their buttholes from Cam Munster... So Cam Munster just created something out of nothing and the hammer, uh, Hamiso Tabuai Fado ran to, to score the try to put us in front. Then we're attacking their end again. We put a bomb up and Lindsay Collins, who's a front rower, out jumps James Tedesco, the Australian fullback, on a bomb and offloads to Cameron Munster to score again. So we got so so we just basically won the game. And that's not to mention that for that last like 10 minutes as well, we had no wingers either because right. Selwyn Cobbo had hurt himself with about 15 to go. Murray Talungi had to go off for a HIA and didn't come back for the end of the game. So 
you've got no wingers, which meant our centres moved out to the wing. And it meant in one centre, you've got David Tafita, who's a second rower defending. And on the other centre, you've got Ben Hunt, who is our hooker. <laughs> like, it was just a hodgepodge of... In other words, that's what the Queensland spirit's all about. Because right. any other team falls apart in that situation. Yeah. But they just they just pulled it off. And I, I can't help but feel like this is Billy Slater's coaching coming through because he coached his first series last year and he, and he had a win. New South Wales were big favourites going to that series too. Same as this, this year as well. New South Wales were big favourites going in. But Billy's just special, man. He's got that team playing for each other. He's also... I, can't, I think I told this story last year, but one of the stories that Cameron Smith talks about all the time when he played with Billy Slater was Billy would come into training at the Storm and he'd be like, all right, guys. And you know that meme of from um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, how he's got the board up behind him yeah. and he's, right? And he's like, that was how Billy would, he would have come up with a play in his head the night before, like in a dream. And he'd come into training yeah. and go, okay, so this person goes, blah, blah, blah. and um, Craig Bellamy, the coach, would always have to go, no, Billy, we're not doing that. Like, we're not doing that. Right, right, right. But his brain's just wired that way. So I I was talking to my old man uh, earlier before the game, and I said, don't be surprised if you see some sort of bullshit trick shot play that you've never seen before. And the first time the Queenslanders entered the New South Wales half, they pulled one of those bullshit plays. So, so if anyone wants to go and watch a replay, go back, watch the first 10 minutes. The first time Queensland gets into their half, they're on the left-hand side. They pull this really dumb bullshit play that no one ever would have would have thought about which made the space to make a break which they ended up then scoring off in in subsequent plays so computer blue yeah yeah so billy he he's a freak um new yeah, south okay. wales so are you expecting a whitewash this um i predicted a queensland three nil series win before the series began and this was my thought process the first game was in adelaide so it was the neutral ground. The second game's in Queensland. So I was confident we'd win the first game. If you win the first one, then you win the second game at home because it's obviously easier to win at home. You know, the the, the last game's a bit of a, a dead rubber, so to speak. And I think you've got a pretty good opportunity if you've demoralized New South Wales at that point to win that third game as well. The most entertaining part of this game for me was... The Adelaide crowd was obviously pretty neutral. And then when Tom Flegler got sent to the sin bin, they started chanting for Queensland because even oh, they yeah, knew okay. it was bullshit. The underdog. The underdog. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. so look, it was entertaining as a Queenslander. I was I was stoked for the ending, all the storylines that came out of it. Um, you know, very Origin-esque. The game itself wasn't really Origin quality. A lot of drop ball, uh, a lot of bad calls by the ref. So let, fingers crossed both teams can pick it up and come back right. better next time around. That's it for my origin wrap. What are the contents of today? What are we talking about today? So there's been there's been a lot of stuff going on this week, guys, as as usual. Um, so we will be running through some things such as one of the COVID commanders, uh, Premier McGowan from Western Australia, just chose to resign out of the blue this week. Uh, we will also be covering. Um, some some updates from Senate estimates hearings uh, in regards to some of the topics we've been speaking about in recent weeks. So the reason why I keep an eye on Senate estimates hearings is because, as we always say, follow the money. That's where 
our senators get to ask the different departments questions on how their money is being spent and you get some really interesting yeah really yeah. interesting answers out of that um so we've got some updates from senate estimates hearings uh we've also got a there was a, a rumor that i'd heard a little while ago which i think has become substantiated about the victorian government passing a bill to to force all uh businesses in victoria to delete any covid vaccination information from their employees by sometime yeah, in august yeah, yeah. Yeah. so we've got a thread to explore on that too and uh yeah there's a lot more to go through as well i want to start with something i've been honey dicking everyone all the viewers oh first first of all thank you for last week i don't know what happened but i don't know what we finished on um, I just checked before 226 views, which is huge. That's like, our most viewed show. Yeah, we we never cracked 100 before last week. So thank you to everyone who did watch. And thank if you. you have hung around, hit the subscribe button. We did pick up well, subscribers last week. Well, don't subscribe because oh, we did we did pick up. Yeah, a new we one. did get we get one. I, I don't know if it's the maybe, person who maybe unsubscribed maybe. the week before yeah. <laughs> who's come back. That's awesome. Yeah, welcome, yeah. welcome back. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> um, um, like subscribe and like we've said in the past, uh, send it to people who you think it'll help. Yeah, for sure. Saves you having to have the conversation. Let us have it. Yeah, let us have it. Now, something I've been honey-dicking everyone about for weeks and weeks and weeks now, I can finally uncover, which is my patent request came through. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, it was it was due today. It was actually the, the, the deadline that I'd given the lawyers was an arbitrary number I pulled out of my uh, FUPA, and it was my Your birthday. birthday. So, but it actually came out two days ago. Three days ago, three days ago. So uh, the lawyers did a great job. Little tip for anyone that is going to do a software IP, or actually, it's probably good advice to anyone that's going to do anything with lawyers. Yep. My tip is do as much of the lawyers' work first before you submit it to lawyers. Yeah, yeah. To keep your costs down. 100%. So we spent two days in a room searching for patents, like patent terms, to make sure that we weren't going to have conflicts when we submitted our patent. So the way that our patent was worded was correct, basically correct. So we only had like, I would say one and a half revisions that had to be made. Yep. And it's probably the difference between getting getting one done in three or four weeks as opposed to having one done in in 12 months. And do lawyers still charge in six-minute blocks? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah, any time you can save them, it's worth yeah. it. But I thought I'd just I, I thought I'd just tell everyone what it is. So mm-hmm. the patent is called. So I've got a provisional specification and, and patent pending. Okay, uh, and I like it. It says for the invention entitled a system for recording and constructing a semiotic wagering slash agreement. Now, what does that mean? Uh, I will show. Here's some like um, schematics of what like what the sort of the system looks like. You don't need mm-hmm. to see that. Don't pause on it. You won't be able to read it anyway. <laughs> but basically, basically what it is, the natural language models of like uh, of AI systems have really sort of changed the game of how you interact with technology. And whereas before we used to prompt with you know uh, touching on screens filling in online forms, pushing submit buttons. Um, that's kind of like the old school way of, of doing things. 
And something that we wanted to have is we want to have the ability where we use natural language to speak. So obviously everyone texts each other all the time through various different chat groups. Yep. And what we wanted to, what we built is a, uh, oh, sorry, in concept, what the concept we've built is uh, the ability for you to use a semiotic. A semiotic is like an exclamation mark or a backslash or a forward slash or a hashtag. That's a semiotic. Use a semiotic to prompt a system to then collate the information in the chat and then create a digital contract between those parties and yep. also facilitate payment and uh, gather consensus through multiple forms to find an outcome. That's yeah. the long and the short of, of, of what it is. And it's something that like Nugget and I have been working on for five years. We didn't know it was going to end up being a pattern, um, but here we are. So we, we, we've got the pattern pending in now. The next step is we basically need to start approaching people about uh, raising capital to build it. Mm-hmm. I think it's extremely exciting. I can see applications for uh, wagering and gambling especially, mm-hmm. but I could also see it being used as point of sale, um, insurance quotes. Like, okay, I'll give you like a little scenario. Imagine if you just had, if you, so let's say you were with um, Allianz Insurance, right? and you just crash your car, well, instead of filling out one of those stupid online forms and sometimes that are with irregular phrased questions that you don't know how to answer because yep. it doesn't particularly concern you, what if you were just chatting to it? What if you're just saying, hey, I've just crashed my car. Everything goes, oh, no, you're okay. You know, it, 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 and it's just a chatbot. That's just a chatbot at that point. Mm-hmm. And then what if the system can now prompt you and say, okay, the next step is we need some photos of your car. So it would bring up a semiotic prompt, tell you to take photos of the car, you take photos of the car, it uploads it to a system. The system would then use uh, a, a, an AI to uh, see what the next step would be. It can use a model based off the um, the company's own, like basically user manual, and yep. say, okay, the next step is, well, we need a, uh, a, a repair shop to take it to a repair shop for, for assessment. Well, it could automatically do that. It could contact them. It could contact you. So in, in a way... In theory, it would be a completely hands-off thing and you can have technology take over the whole lot. Now, the second part, which is the big one, which is more of a crypto play than anything else, is being able to open up payment channels to guarantee payment of said things. Yeah. All right? So so what Bitcoin or a lot of crypto protocols give you the ability to do, open up a payment channel to say, Hey, basically checking inside your wallet. Hey, is there money in here? Like if we do a deal, is it like, and then escrowing it digitally to make sure that it does get paid out if the contract is fulfilled. Yeah. So that is one example. Uh, I, I, I don't have a big thirst to go and chase an insurance company. I've got no contacts in the insurance company. I don't know any bosses of insurance companies, mm-hmm. but there could be the ability for us to build some tech or license it out to people like that. Um, I think it's extremely exciting. I think it's really, I feel like what AI has done to Google search, this technology will do to online transactions. Yeah, hundred percent. And so we're very excited. I, I really like even just the, the small scale applications of, so the way you explained about how it can pull out the contents of a chat group and create a contract through that 
how many times have you been chatting in the group chat and someone's made a bet with someone else for something yep. that might only happen six months down the track and then by the time it happens and the person who wins goes to collect and they're like, oh, no, like, no, I, I never agreed to that. No. Or they maybe change one of the metrics in the bet or something like that. Whereas in this, you yep. can literally just go, all right, cool, are we doing this thing? Sweet. Hey, AI, feed it in, make the contract. Yep. Put yep. the put the crypto in escrow and it'll pay yep. out to the winner. You can't make the bet without the without the funds being escrowed and yep. and even better is we'll have the the system will source the consensus or advise on the best forms of consensus. So for yep. example, if the information is available through like if it's a sports score, that's available through an API on the internet, right? Yep. But if it's something more obscure, it might say oh, we'll need a third-party referee. Who do you both agree is going to be the referee? Mm. Okay, and then to clarify, the contract is between you and I for 1,000 sats and 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 um, it's on finalised on this date and this person's going to be the final design. Or you can say that I won mm-hmm. and I can say that I've won and it will pay out. Yep. Or if you say that you've won and I say that I've won, then it goes to the third-party referee. Yep, yep. So there's various forms of consensus. We've even got some provisions in there, which is kind of like the next level of computing, which we talked about, like organic or, or, or like biological um, inputs. Like, like for example, what if it was a heart rate monitor? What if that was the consensus for the thing? Do you know what I mean? Like, there could be some some physical things as opposed to digital that could be tied into it as well. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, now now I'm starting to get uh, speed wobbles about insurance companies using that to feed into your uh, health insurance premiums. Yeah, that that's a, I mean that is a thing that they could do. Like yeah, they can call so what Jason's like, kind of illustrating is saying, yeah, if you plugged in your Apple Watch yeah. to your and it thought that you lived a too high stress life or your resting heart rate was too high, mm. your premium might go up. Yeah, that could be a very real thing. Yeah. But, I mean, all our listeners are super healthy, so theirs would go down. Yeah, exactly or, right. Or do what I know that you can do, which is you can go on YouTube, get a video of a chosen heart rate, <laughs> and, and it flashes a red light at a certain rate to hack your system. <laughs> the possibilities are endless. All right. Uh, what's next, Alex? Uh, next is, well, do you want to go to uh, Alex Antics? Yeah, you, you can just go through the resources uh, as you've got them in order. But um, so by the sounds of it, so we're going to go to Alex Antic next. So Alex Antic, for anyone who doesn't isn't aware, he is a South Australian senator who has been fairly well on top of everything uh, that most of the Red Pill community has been during COVID. And... So he's really flying the flag. So the, the, really the good guys that we've been following in Australian Parliament are guys like Antic, guys like Malcolm Roberts, uh, Jared Rennick, he's a big one. Mm. Um, Ralph Babbitt from Victoria too, he's he's flying the flag. He's a little bit more real estate-y. <laughs> um, mm. So the guys I think are really worth following are definitely Malcolm Roberts, Alex Antic, and uh, Jared Rennick in particular. He's he's exceptional. But um, Right, I'll fly this video up. Yeah, yeah, just just start the first Touching one. on the issue of... I'm not aware of anything that, that, that we, uh, we have suggested was 
dangerous or false that's turned out. Sorry, just, just pause it for me, please. Sorry, I, I should give a bit of a preamble for this, uh, especially for audio listeners. So this is in Senate estimates hearings, and Alex Antic in this particular video is questioning... In, in, this is in regard to what we uh, report on last week with the sort of Australian-esque Twitter files of the, the censorship of COVID information uh, online. And he's specifically asking a question to the Department of Health because last week he asked the uh, Department of Home Affairs uh, how that arrangement came about and where the funding was from. And the Department of Home Affairs said that their funding for the censorship ended on the 30th of June. Mm-hmm. And they basically intimated that the funding and the direction came from the Department of Health. So now Alex Antic is asking uh, the the Department of Health, uh, and, and more specifically, I don't know the lady's name that begins this, who's answering first, but then Brendan Murphy, who is the outgoing um, head of the Department of Health, who has recently resigned, who just so happens to be named as one of the defendants in the vaccine injury class action lawsuit, which is currently underway, he sort of butts in and starts uh, relitigating some of the vaccine propaganda that we've heard the entire pandemic. So I think this is a very interesting, uh, interesting clip. I'm not aware of anything that 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 we uh, we have suggested was dangerous or false that's turned out to be correct so that was brendan murphy but now it's saying 2.5 touching on the issue of funding though um last week in estimates we learned through a freedom of information application that the department of uh, home affairs were using their platform to seek uh, to censor i suppose or make recommendations to social media companies to censor uh, covid related posts they they say they did so at the behest of the department of health um, can you tell me whose decision that was, when that began, and how much the funding was for that project? So the, there was no funding for the project. Uh, that, that was a matter that was about taking advantage. Government made a decision to take advantage of a capability that the Department of Home Affairs already had in place to be able to look broadly across uh, social media that they had in place for various uh, security reasons. Uh, we certainly worked closely with them from the Department of Health in terms of the evidence base against which things should be assessed, uh, but there was no sort of um, funding agreement between us. They say their funding runs out on the 30th of June. That's funding from a different source. That would be a matter for the Department of Home Affairs. Okay. okay. Uh, and whose decision was that to, to commence that project? To, to utilise that system with the Department of Home Affairs? I actually can't recall exactly mm. where the decision came from, but mm. we could check. Mm. Sorry, it was during the peak of pandemic. Mm. <laughs> just sort of happened. I think, I think Sam, so we were concerned uh, about clear misinformation mm. being uh, promoted in social media and other channels. Information that were on the the balance of scientific evidence was clearly incorrect and frankly dangerous. Yes. So, so I, d I don't think we don't apologise for no. wishing to. Uh, certainly, there's a fine line, as I'm sure you're aware, between people, you know, a community member expressing an opinion and someone oppressing, expressing under the guise of scientific knowledge. <laughs>
uh, little whoopsie there. He actually yeah. accidentally said he said the uh, quiet part out loud. Where That's he a said Freudian oppressing. slip if I've ever seen one. Yeah, I said oppressing we instead of expressing material. So we don't apologise for wishing to to not have, uh, frankly, incorrect and dangerous material. Would you apologise for things that were taken down that turned out to be correct in hindsight? Um, well, I'm not aware of anything that 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 we. Uh, we have suggested was dangerous or false that's turned out to be correct. I think there were a few. There were some relating to transmission, as we've seen today. I think, Senator, we've had this discussion on many occasions. The vaccines uh, early on in the earlier strains were clearly effective in preventing transmission. As strains evolved, they became much less effective in preventing transmission. The effect in preventing transmission is, is quite small now, but early on in the alpha strain, the delta strain, the, the effect on transmission was probably one of the biggest factors in controlling the Delta outbreak in New South Wales in late 2021. They did work on transmission early on. They still work very, very poorly on transmission. We'd have to agree with that. The effect in transmission is very short-lived and it's not the reason we're vaccinating people now. We're vaccinating people now to stop severe disease. But to say that they did not impact on transmission is a, is a lie. They did impact on transmission and the effect is much less than For it was. The there. vast majority of that time, though, we were dealing with Omicron, which it was not effective in terms of transmission. So not as effective, no, not as effective, it, and it certainly didn't stop transmission. But even now, the vaccines have a short-lived effect in transmission, which is very short-lived, and we acknowledge that. And so, the the strategy around vaccination is not to just just a quick. One. I don't think they've ever acknowledged that. This is like the first no. time. I've ever heard them, like a government official, talk about the vaccine and say yeah. it doesn't stop transmission or it's got very little effect on transmission. That's the first time I've heard it. Yep. Just just let this clip go. It's got 40, 45 more seconds and then we'll go through it. Stop transmission. It is to stop people dying and it's got a 93% efficacy in preventing death from COVID. These vaccines are very effective. And still safe, you say? And still safe, well, yes. yes. You, you're still clinging to the fact that they're safe. We, 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 every vaccine, we've discussed this on many occasions, every vaccine has, has some adverse effects and we know that a very small number of people tragically had severe complications with the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, not nearly as many as many people would advocate, but the, and, the, and absolutely they, but every vaccine has complications. Vaccines have always had adverse effects, but the cost benefit, mm. The risk-benefit ratio of the COVID vaccines is very much in the favour of this, their benefit. To I, the that's an entirely different subject, and I entirely disagree with you. I think that's entirely wrong. So, there's there's a few things in there which I think are extremely important to go through. Number one, it's it's important to reiterate the fact that Brendan Murphy has resigned this year. So he, I, I'm not sure exactly as all of them up. have. Yeah, they've literally. There's only a few left, right? Yeah. But he has resigned this year. Now, you can see from the clip, for any of our viewers, not so much the audio listeners, maybe to describe for the audio listeners, you can see how uncomfortable he is when he is making these responses because he keeps going back and forth in his seat. He doesn't want to look antic in the eye. He's, he's um, avoiding his his, his hands are between his legs and he's shrugging right. his shoulders and, and folding in on himself. Yeah, yeah so it's who... and, and we've seen him talk before. He's been yeah. a beast before. He's ripped That's people's right. faces off in these, in these things, but definitely not now. He's on the yeah. back foot for sure. Yeah, so 
so you know i mean from a from someone who you know we both have studied body language for many years because of sales uh i'm not buying that he believes what he is saying Mm. at all now the second point that i'll make is their attitude around censorship they literally are saying that they are quite comfortable with the decisions that were made to censor uh, COVID speech online. But one of the important points he made was he did try to say that there was a fine line between a regular citizen expressing an opinion. And I think what he was going to go on to say was, um, you know, like a, a like maybe a doctor or a reputable source saying outright dangerous misinformation or something along those lines. But they didn't draw that line with the censorship. They censored everybody. Yeah. And that was what was so crazy about it was, I mean, we were censored. We ain't doctors. We ain't experts in anything. We were, yeah. an ex- we were Australian citizens expressing an opinion about COVID. And if you guys go back, what, all of our opinions were based on official government data. Like the things that we spoke about, especially early on in 2020 with the pandemic, is if you actually watch the data, the majority of people who were dying with COVID which we've also come to find it was with, it wasn't just from, which they suggested it was all from back in 2020. But the people dying with COVID, the average age was 82 years old. Like we knew that early on. And anyone who said that, you were censored online because as far as they're concerned, that was dangerous misinformation. Yeah. But whether, whether they actually believed it was misinformation or not at the time, the reality is their attitude is that they are quite happy to censor Australian citizens who have views that they do not agree with. And yep. that's what your tax dollars are going to pay. That's and the, 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 the little weaselly way to go around to say, like, oh, no, well, we, stand by, we stand by doing what, you know, what, what we thought was right, what we thought was right. Yeah. Um, and they... He, he actually never really has admitted to censoring, I guess. Like, he was very careful with the words that he used um, because they, they, they're going to push it back and they're, they, they're going to say, no, no, we just sent them recommendations. We sent the... Yeah. And, and said that these 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 um, these um people are potentially violating your terms of service. Yeah. Maybe you should do something about it. So they'll get away with this. Like, let, let's let's... I, I want to put that out there. They're going to get away with all of this. Yeah. But we just need to be aware that you can't, like, they have a lot of say in this. Like, Absolutely. they have a lot of sway in, with big tech. And and I'm going to, I can't bring this up on screen, so I'm just going to bring it up on my phone. Because if you guys really want an example of how this sort of censorship stuff works, because one of, one of the things that, one of the bits of feedback that I got early on when we started talking about us being censored was, you guys just aren't a big channel, no one cares what you have to say. And uh, to a degree, I was like, maybe that's right. Maybe people just don't care. But one of like Facebook censorship is probably one of the worst. And we've not, we've not seen the Facebook files. We've seen the Twitter files, but not the Facebook files. And one of the things that I find really interesting is, you know, every social media platform wants people to do video because video is more engaging and you can stick ads in it. So every platform amplifies accounts that do video, like Instagram and Facebook Reels, YouTube Shorts. Um, they all want TikTok. you to do, 
And look at what Twitter's just done. Twitter's just opened up to have like long form content. You can do like two hours of video on Twitter. Everyone wants you to put video up. So we, I started putting video clips of the podcast up on Instagram and on Facebook to try to build some engagement. And some of our reels have gotten ridiculously high amounts of views. Well, as far as what we're concerned, like for example, um, if you go through our reels, our best ever most viewed reel has 8,400 views. That's a lot, right? That's a lot of people viewing it. And that one was about literally just um, talking about whether or not our national identity had changed in the last two years. Didn't mention any of the naughty words from the pandemic. It was literally just talking about how our sensibilities as a country has changed. The next, literally the next video, which is from the same podcast, the question was, should Australia become a republic? That's got 13 views. Yeah. So you go from 8,400 views to 13 views. They were posted a day apart. Yeah. And it, it like, you can go through all of them, but the most recent ones... Um, I po- the most recent reel that we that I posted was me releasing the snake that I found in my house. That's on 2,700 views. Mm-hmm. The post before that was a clip from last week's podcast, which um, was about the like the cost of living crisis that's been caused by the government. That's got 15 views. Yeah. So it is. It is very clear that there there are algorithms built in place which pick up key naughty words and they limit your reach on the things that they don't want people to t- to to see and to and to talk about. And and what's worse is that we, you and I got into many arguments because I didn't. I knew very early on. I knew what the naughty words were, uh, yeah. were and I know that you just wanted to use it because that was really about getting the message out there. But yeah. But what, what I think we're seeing now is it's like it's it's now around just anything government related. That's right. And it's so, it's not so now, just like COVID. Like yeah. now you now this censorship you're going to see about uh, people who are advocating a no vote a no vote against the voice to parliament. Mm. Uh, you're gonna see it around climate change. You're gonna see it around We should do a test. Let's do next next week. Yep. Let's do a pro voice vote post. Yep. And a pro and an ant and a pro no vote voice and see what happens. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see. For sure. For sure. But and, and this is where like you said, where they get really sly about this stuff, and we saw this in the Department of Home Affairs one last week, is where they go, We didn't sense for anybody. We were just sending uh, information to the various social media platforms to say that, hey, this person in this post is violating your terms and conditions. So yeah. it wasn't us. We weren't doing any of these things. But the problem with that is that that means the Australian government values the terms and conditions of some corporate entity more than the rights to free speech of its own taxpaying no, citizens. That's not what it is. That's not what it is at all. They they would have spoken to their uh, lawyers that are on retainer. Yep. Um, their consultants. I've spoken to them and said, "What do you reckon the best way to do it?" They would say, "Well, you can't censor it because that's against the law." Yeah, yeah. But what you could do is prompt the. You could give some advice that 
and maybe uh, uh, bring to light the potential that these companies may do it. And you might be able to say it in such a way or do it at such volumes where you might be able to get the things that you want in a, in a, in a lawful way. That's what Yeah, I, I understand. Sure. I understand that that is the legal framework. But if you try to mm. justify the actual act itself, like that's essentially what they're doing. It, it appears that they are look they are more interested in helping a giant company like Meta or Alphabet uh, police their terms and conditions. They care more about that than their own citizens who pay their bills having free speech. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Which absolutely. is which, if you think about it, is wild. Like that is wild, and that should be unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. Uh, what's this second one here? This one. Yeah, so just, just pause it. So this second clip, this is also Alex Antic talking about... Um, I'll, I'll read the, his post. The Australian government is supporting the World Health Organization's so-called pandemic treaty. It, if passed, it appears that Australia's future pandemic responses will be utterly controlled by the lamentable World Health Organization. I think Australians should be worried, but the Department of Health assured me it's all okay. What do you think? So this is uh, talking about the amendments to the international health regulations from the World Health Organization that we've been covering on the podcast and we spoke about last week. So this is Alex Antic asking our current... Um, uh, not not sure. current. He's out. No, this is Paul Kelly. This is the new... Um, what's it? It's not the chief health officer. Uh, he's the head of the Department of Health. Sorry. Right. So Great he's, he's Greg Hunt's replacement. Can we have an update about where we're up to with Australia's position with respect to the pandemic treaty? Uh, yes, I was in Geneva last week. Those, those uh, negotiations on a pandemic instrument, um, the word treaty is not actually in, the, in any of the text at the moment, are ongoing. They're at a, a, a relative are not in the text at the moment. Yeah. He said that like it's planned to be, it's just not there now. That's right. And this, just for everyone to know, this negotiation is going on at the moment and will last for the next six months or so. I think this is due to be voted on um, within about six months. And it's literally you have to opt out. Like they're doing this and they have to have enough people opt out for it to not go ahead. Right early stage, but they've uh, set an ambitious target of completing those negotiations by this time next year. Right. So why then is Australia um, enabling a centralisation of powers with the World Health Organisation uh, and a watering down of Australia's own medical response and pandemic response under the guise of furthering global health, I suppose you say, but why, why are we signing up to that? Uh, the pandemic, Senator. So we're, we're quite. So, uh, excuse me. Let, let's just listen to that. Yeah. Thing again. Hold on. Furthering global health, I suppose you say. But why? Why are we signing up to that? Uh, the pandemic, Senator. Are we signing up to the pandemic? <laughs> well, yeah. no, no, did you get that? He just yeah. said. He just said they're planning the next pandemic. There it was, right there. I'll, I'll play it again. I'll play it again. Pandemic response under the guise of furthering global health, I suppose you say, but why, why are we signing up to that? Uh, the pandemic, Senator. So just pause it so, again. <laughs> um, now, you took it that way. The way that I took it 
is him saying essentially fuck you for even asking this question it's because of the pandemic you idiot like we just had this thing called the pandemic and that's why we're doing it but but the key thing i took out of that is his attitude in that sort of smackdown response for just being asked a question as to why the australian government is choosing to sign up to a binding treaty with the World Health Organization, which will not only give them the power to declare any sort of uh, situation that may have an impact on public health, but they then get to take complete control over the response to that. But that's the sort of attitude you get back for even asking the question. Yeah. So we're quite happy with um, bricking in that, that lockdown masking mandate approach and, and giving the keys to the fortress to the World Health Organization to, to dictate terms to our medical institutions. I think that misrepresents the nature the, of this treaty, oh, Senator. Yeah, I think the, it does. It's not supposed to be a treaty. Yeah, and also Brendan Murphy is cutting in again to try to relitigate things. To be very clear, clear Senator, none of those things apply. I, I, I'm familiar with the with the. Um, uh, with various groups around the world who are, who are peddling that that actual that uh, falsehood um, that is not uh, anywhere in in the text of the, 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 the current, uh, these are going to become these are going to become this, this instrument is going to become binding on the Australian uh, legal framework for pandemic response. Will it not? Uh, only only if it is if it goes through all of the mechanisms that need to be taken into account for such a, an instrument to be binding, um, like sign the thing. Yeah, but like, but just just think about that. So that response clearly says, "I understand how bad this looks if the public knows we are signing up to a binding instrument." So that's why I'm not just going to go. Yes, it does. So I'm going to try to obfuscate. But he's not even very yeah. good at obfuscating. His obfuscation is literally, oh, well, yeah, if it goes through all the mechanisms, then maybe, yeah, it does. And even before that, I don't know if you caught this too, but when he's ramp like mumbling through his, uh, when he's saying, oh, this isn't in the text of the, he says it's in the text of the current, and then he gets sort of cut off and he just doesn't finish his sentence. Right. So like whether it's not in the text of the current, agreement that they're looking at well, that's what I'm saying it, the future one is going to be like they all know that's right. what it's going to say and that's so the this point. is the this is the the, the, the draft yeah the, this the draft will, will be the one that makes the rounds around the media yep and then the final one that you won't hear about is the one that they'll sign up to and that's just right. a side note um people who are watching this they can see it but the audio listeners I don't know why we're taking health advice from a guy that looks like he's got scurvy yeah on. and and i encourage everyone go and google the chief health officer of every western nation on the planet and tell me if you would really take health advice from these people start and, and there is nowhere in any of the negotiations where it says that sovereignty will be for decisions made by sovereign nations to be influenced by this this is all about sharing of information uh, and sharing of resources they're the two key things but but we saw during the last pandemic that the, the international health regulations did cause an effect on the Australian response. It, it, it was, uh, I think, uh, I forget who, may have even been yourself, who, who told me that that was the very reason why uh, Australians were stopped from going overseas uh, during the pandemic. Uh, so there will be, clearly... Um, uh, the reason if- Australians 
we took border measures was a local decision made on the local health advice. In fact, the WHO... The health advice that we're still yet to see. Correct. ...was not uh, particularly strong on border measures at the time. As Professor Kelly said, this this trend treaty and the international health regulation it's not a treaty i know he keeps calling it a treaty and and to be honest funny that funny that everyone else is calling it a treaty too except paul kelly funnily enough yeah visions they are protocols that we we certainly uh, as professor kelly said sign up to to share data and but there is no requirement for nations to cede any of their sovereign powers we will still retain our powers to make decisions on our own borders on our own public health and social measures uh, cert- certainly we would like the world to be much more united and coordinated in their approach to pan so we can all do it as bad as what the western countries did and have the worst outcomes yeah you mean like that mm-hmm. yeah or make it worse yeah. yeah and there was a lot of differences across the world in, in the last pandemic and i think we would like to see a more coordinated approach but but no no country is going to cede their sovereign power of the government of the day to make these decisions. It will be Senator very difficult. Antique. Just one last it's question. Time to rotate the call to Senator Roberts. Just one last question. One last question, uh, Senator if, if this is passed, however, Australia will be, it will be very difficult for Australian uh, health bureaucrats and politicians to avoid being compelled by the World Health Organization's approach to a pandemic. Yes. I don't think the World Health Organization can compel us at all, Senator. But it will be very difficult to resist. We, we, would, we would feel obliged to justify why we were yes. not complying with an exactly. agreed protocol but we would not we have no requirement to do that we'll show thank the usual you. spine um, thank you, sir. so even that last i just want to that last thing again hold on mm-hmm. the words they use were interesting questions approach to a pandemic yes, i don't think the world health organization can compel us at all Senator. but it would be very difficult to resist we we would we would feel obliged to justify why we were yes. not complying with an exactly. agreed complying with an agreed protocol yeah, I, I find it interesting because compiling seems like a pretty binding, uh, uh, of course, like yeah word. That's right. So because wouldn't you say not an agreed protocol? Wouldn't wouldn't you say like uh, uh, like the same thing? This is how I would have said it. I would have said like um, you know we may have to justify why we aren't taking on the recommendations of the WHO. Yes. But what he said was different to that. Yeah, he said we would need to, we would have an obligation to justify why we are not uh, agreeing with an agreed protocol. Yeah. Which is completely different. And yeah. and I'm so glad that Alex Antic asked that question in that way and, and said those key points at the end. Because think back to the pandemic. This is what happened throughout the entire pandemic. The people who were put in charge to actually make the decisions handballed every single one of these decisions to some sort of faceless health bureaucrat, including the World Health Organization. So how many times was something that we were doing justified by saying that it's a recommendation of the World Health Organization? So now you've got Brendan Murphy. Hold on. I was just going to say, but now you've got Brendan Murphy, who was in the chair during the entire pandemic, who never once pushed back on a World Health Organization protocol saying, well, we, we're not obligated to do anything. Like, you know, we don't need to, mm. to follow any advice. Again. But no, no, no. But prior history is usually a pretty good indicator of what you're going to do in the future. And the prior history of the last three years has shown never once 
have you gone against the World Health Organization when it came to pandemics? Not once. No, but they did. They did because the w, uh, the WHO changed their tune on lockdowns and we didn't. Actually, that's a good so, point. Yeah. Right? So, so um, in a way, it was like, A, you, that's why we shouldn't just trust any individual body. Like, yeah. <laughs> our... Our look at this, I, I think you'd agree with me. What we want, what we think the future of pandemics should look like is, A, let's stop making them. Uh, right? Yeah, that'd be a really good start. Step one. Mm-hmm. Step one is stop making pandemics, global yep. pandemics. Global pandemics are really bad, right? So let's let's stop making them. Step one. Yep. Step two is it should be up to every doctor to start doing doctor work that's right and every scientist to do science work and every researcher to research and with the power of the internet yep. spread that information around to find the best case yeah not stopping anything not blocking anything we should have been trialing testing you know we should, we should have thrown everything at it yeah and we would have got a better result that's right. And and the best example of that is Pierre Corey, like Dr. Pierre Corey and the Frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance. Pierre Corey was an emergency room physician who he treated the uh, like a massive amount of ICU patients for COVID and he came up with a protocol based on trial and error of what worked. Mm. And that protocol involved ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and zinc and azithromycin and all those naughty words. But through their experience and him networking with other people who were working in emergency rooms, they came up with that protocol now having success. And look what the establishment has done. And the, the World Health Organization is part of the establishment. Look what they've done to him. He's got no career now. His, his yeah. entire career now is based around like doing presentations and, and talks and podcasts because he can't be, he's had his license taken off him, I'm pretty sure. But like he, he's had his entire academic career is gone. He can't get mm. a, an academic paper um, published anywhere. He's gone ski. And mm. so when you look at the World Health Organization, so I was watching something today. I, I really wish I kept a graphic, but I didn't. But, and this is why I made the point about Australia with the censorship stuff on Facebook, taking the softball approach going, we were just telling them that it was their terms and conditions. Because there's obviously commercial interest when it comes to Facebook, and Facebook is a publicly listed company with some very big pocketed investors like your Black Rocks and your Vanguards and your State Streets who control everything. So when you've got an Australian government going, hey, we know you are primarily uh, invested in by the same companies that want to push these vaccines and these medicines and make all the money out of it, uh, we're still going to support you. Well, when you, when you apply that to the World Health Organization, so when the World Health Organization was originally created, it was supposed to be like funded by the member countries, the member states. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole point of it was literally supposed to be like what he's trying to claim this new treaty is going to be about. It was supposed to be about data sharing and, and to have a collaborative approach to any sort of pandemic or yeah. any, right? It was supposed to work together. But the problem is... They have to go around the world looking for that funding. Now, the number one funder of the World Health Organization is Germany, funnily enough. Like, heard of the Nuremberg Code? <laughs> like, yeah. 
you know, they're, they're very good at doing, doing experiments. But the number two funder of the World Health Organization is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They're number two. Then it's got the US. Then it's got the UK. And then coming in at number five is Gavi, which is the... What does Gavi stand for? It's like the... Um, sorry, let me just look it up. Uh, it's... Bear with me. The Vaccine Alliance? Yeah. Garvey.org uh, is Raising Generation uh, Immunity. They've branded it, so it's I-M-M, capital U-N-I-T, like immunity. Yeah, right. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, so Garvey is essentially a a vaccine commi- like group. It, it's all about uh, promoting vaccinations, especially for poor countries, which is even more gross. But yes, it's very it's very urban on this uh, on this homepage. Yeah, but guess who is the primary funder of Gavi? Oh, let's do it. Let's let's do that. Let's do it. I'll pull it up. Let's do it together. Together. Now, for one so one we... thing I noticed quickly. Look right up the top where it says Covax. Remember yeah. how the Covax scheme was created because Bill Gates wanted to protect patents on the uh, COVID vaccinations, so he created. He wouldn't let India have it. Well. Yeah, because they wouldn't give them immunity. But uh, they created the COVAX scheme. The vaccine or the company? Uh, both. It's fi- both. No, true, in, in India never gave Pfizer immunity for their vaccine, which is why yeah, they a, didn't use Pfizer. It was, a joke. It, was a, it was a fact that the vaccine doesn't give any vaccine. Uh, oh, right, right, right. right. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I missed that. Day, um, yeah. But yeah, don't, don't forget. So with that COVAX scheme, um, the whole... The way that it was sold to everyone was like, oh, the rich Western nations, they're going to pay for all of them. So they'll get prior- they'll get them first, but they're also going to fund vaccines for all the poor countries. But then the problem with that is that in the few amounts of Pfizer contracts with countries that we've seen leaked from like Argentina and Brazil, for example, in those contracts, Pfizer has control of the doses. And it's up to Pfizer as to whether or not doses can be donated or not. And they were yeah, saying yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. So the uh, whole thing was So bullshit. let's have a look at this. Uh, so this is the this is the who's funding it. Yep. Uh, Garvey's partnership model. Okay. So two key factors set us apart from other actors in global health. One, the partnership model as a public-private partnership. Yeah, fascism again. Yeah, we capitalize on the sum of our partners' comparative advantages. Yep. Number two, the business model. By pooling demand for vaccines from the world's poorest countries, securing long-term funding and shaping vaccine markets, we are accelerating access to life-saving vaccines to the countries that need it the, the most. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, so Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is is like number one in here. World Health Organization, yep, they're poo too. UNICEF, poo, and the World Bank, poo. Yeah. Uh, what's what's this? Uh, what is Covax? Covax is the. Uh, is there anything juicy there? So just uh, while you're looking to see if you can find anything else juicy on the website, the the fact of the matter is, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are the number one donor to Gavi. And if Gavi is number fifth donor to the World Health Organization, if you add Gavi's donations and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's donations together, they come in at number two, just behind the amount of money that Germany is donating to the World Health right. Organization. 
Get this. Get this. Okay. Uh, how the business model works. Long-term funding. All countries pay a share of the cost of their Gavi-supported vaccines. As a country's income grows, its co-financing payments gradually increase to cover all the full costs of vaccines. Predictable long-term donor support is another cornerstone of our model. It provides the security for countries to adopt vaccine programs. It also makes it possible for manufacturers to make new investments in production capacity. So they are back. This is, this is that whole... Um, it's like the war effort, right? This is putting these countries in debt, getting yeah. them onto something that they need, like weapons, and yep. to the point where, as their income grows, well, okay, now you're gonna now you pay full price, right? Yep. So you you got the free demo, now you go full price. And the thing is that I I'm pretty sure it was the World Health Organization that campaigned to have the international laws put in place, which allow vaccine and and pharmaceutical manufacturers to sell the same drug to different countries for different costs based on how much money they can get you out of you so we saw all of that yeah so so let's just i'm just trying to paint the clearest picture i possibly can the reason why we're concerned about the world health organization's amendments to the international health regulations that our government seems hell-bent on supporting because they tried to they voted for it last time which was last year which we reported on and now they look like they're going to support it again the reason why we are concerned is because the world health organization is funded by member states but also by private public private partnerships like the bill and melinda gates foundation and gavi who gavi is funded by bill and melinda gates so it's the same thing they're the second largest donor to the World Health Organization. And go back to a few episodes ago when we spoke about Bill Gates. And we spoke about the fact that Bill Gates made $500 million on his investment in BioNTech during the pandemic. And he was the one who came out and spruced the benefits of mRNA vaccines whilst he was invested in the company. And then when he sold out of it, he started talking shit about the vaccines straight afterwards. Yeah. This is a business arrangement for Bill Gates. Yeah. This is a business relation uh, arrangement. He doesn't give a shit about the health of the people around the world. If it was up to him, he would want everyone to be even sicker so he could jam more medicines into them and make more money. Like, yeah. this is why... There's a petition going around. I'll, I'll put a link for it in the show notes. There's a petition going around for Australia. And I know that the petitions that we've signed during the pandemic literally did nothing, but at least it's trying something. But there is a petition for us to um, vote no to these amendments to the um, the amendments to the World Health Organization, International sure. Health Regulations. So please get on and sign it. Send it to people. Because at the end of the day, Whatever your thoughts about the most recent pandemic, whether you think vaccines worked or not, whether you think masks worked or not, whether you think lockdowns worked or not, the reality is that those decisions were made during that time by people that you could vote out. If Mm. we approve this treaty, every single person that we can vote out just says, sorry, man, Uh, it's not our choice anymore. It's out of our hands. And we can't vote out the World Health Organization unless we go to yeah. a referendum to remove ourselves from them, which none of our politicians will ever uh, bring a referendum about that because they're probably all getting paid fat stacks in the back door from them. This right. is why we need to stop on it the, now. On to the next one. Okay, right. so we quickly... 
should we should we do the vax card information next week and just move on to yeah we can do that next week okay so last week mark mcgowan resigned mm. now a little bit of backstory we've said here on the show we think anyone in australia or globally for that matter that told anyone or forced anyone to get a jab was going to get a fat uh, a fat pension from somewhere and yeah. leave. And how many have we had now? So we were talking about this in the group chat the other day. So Mark McGowan, Premier of WA, he's gone. Gladys Berejiklian and John Barillaro, Premier and Vice, not Vice Premier, Deputy Premier of New South Wales, they're both gone. ScoMo, gone. Um, Greg Hunt, who was our health minister uh, who at the start of the vaccine rollout, he's gone. Brendan Murphy that you saw in those clips, like we said, he resigned. John Skerritt, who is the head of the TGA, who I think was so for the last 20 years or so, who approved all these vaccines, he resigned this year. Um, Koshy. Oh, yeah, David Kosh from the Sunrise program, uh, he just resigned as well. Michael Gunner. Michael Gunner, Chief Minister from the Northern Territory, he's resigned. Um, Brad Hazard, Health Minister from New South Wales, yeah. he resigned. So, yeah, now hold on. We, I can't remember in my life seeing so many resignations. It yeah, would be a different agreed. story if they just got voted out, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and to be fair, Gladys has won, like, at least, like, her, her she's got the excuse that it was uh, related to. Improprietary, uh, like improprietary, and, yeah, like and corruption, and giving too much money in corruption, yeah, doing corrupt deals. But everyone's going, but everyone. And now, when you think back, did she jump out Maybe. because she knew what was coming? Because she oh, stepped down real quick. Like Dan Andrews has had four or five IBAC like corruption uh, investigations into him. He's not stepping down. Maybe now, she saw what was coming. Let me put a clip up of Michael Gunner. I just, I need people to see this clip. So he left, I think, with a very little uh, fanfare. Yeah. And there are, the worst part is that in... So just as a bit of a preamble in, too, Michael Gunner was the Chief Minister of the Northern Territory throughout the pandemic. And the Northern Territory was the most uh, militant when it came to COVID vaccination. Mm. To the point that at one point, I'm pretty sure they were like fining people five grand or something for not being vaccinated. Because being a territory, the laws are completely different to states. Yeah. All right. So I'll play this. Do you think at all that your rhetoric around calling people anti-vaxxers, some of whom were vaccinated... Yeah, we're fine. ...through my headphone. Yeah, you do that. ...has had an impact at all on vaccine take-up in... Parts of the territory. No, and I want to repeat it. If you are anti-mandate, you are absolutely anti-vax. I don't care what your personal vaccination status is. If you support, champion, give a green light, give comfort to, support anybody who argues against the vaccine, you are an anti-vaxxer. Absolutely. Your personal vaccination status is utterly irrelevant. If you campaign against the mandate, if you campaign against people being vaccinated in vulnerable settings, teachers in classrooms, I'll be really clear, at that point in time, people were actually supporting the idea of a teacher being unvaccinated in a remote community classroom with kids who cannot be vaccinated. I reject that, I still reject it. And if you are out there in any way, shape or form, 
campaigning against this man that you are absolutely anti-vax. If you say pro-persuasion, stuff it, shove it. We are absolutely going to make sure as many territorials as possible are vaccinated. That is our best protection against this thing. And if you look at the Dodi volume that's only come out since, that says if we double dose 80 in remote communities, five and up, I think you'll see our vaccine mandate is absolutely crucial to protecting lives, particularly Aboriginal life. And I will never back away from supporting vaccines and anyone out there who comes for the mandate, you are anti-vax. Lunatic. Lunatic. Now, there's two parts about this which I think are very interesting. Number one, he mentioned the Doherty report and the Doherty modelling. And yeah. I'm just going to briefly mention the story that's circulating because the Doherty Institute's just come out this week saying that Australian, a certain strain of Australian garlic is 99.99% effective at curing COVID. And, yeah. it, and it was the Doherty report... Uh, uh, the Doherty and it was funded by the Australian Garlic Growers Association. Yeah, funny that. Funny that. Yeah. Um, I I went back and looked at some of... Because it was the Doherty Institute's modelling that... I don't know if it was the whole of Australia, but it was. I know it was definitely Victoria, but I think that we based some, a lot of the Australian response on it. They, they, their modelling was the one that said, if we do nothing in 2020, we're going to have 200,000 people die. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I went back looking through some of their data on their website and I came across one of their reports from uh, 2020. So this is pre, this is well before the vaccines were uh, approved. But I thought this was interesting. So it said, as of late May 2020, more than 5 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 have been reported worldwide involving all global regions and resulting in over 300,000 deaths. Although the majority of cases are clinically mild or asymptomatic, Early reports from China, so again, they trusted China's word. They took China's word for it. Yeah. And just just consider the fact they, they just said that uh, you've had 5 million cases from all global regions, but they took China's word for it. Yeah. So from China, estimated that 20% of all COVID-19 patients progressed to severe disease and required hospitalization with 5 to 16% of these individuals going on to require management within an intensive care unit. So our entire pandemic response was based on the Doherty Institute saying that 20% of people who got COVID would require hospitalization. Yeah. And that's and, what we based it on. And we've also knew because Doherty told us during the pandemic that they just modelled what they were asked to model. That's right. Yep. And and now they've just modelled what they were asked to model by the garlic industry. Big garlic. Yeah. Big There's garlic. a show title for this one. Big garlic. That's the one. Big garlic. Um, I also just quickly pulled this up. So this is a new story from the 13th of October 2021. Unvaccinated North Northern Territory workers face $5,000 fines and workplace bans in sweeping new rules. The new rules are being implemented as it's revealed some Northern Territory communities have first dose vaccination rates below 10%. So that was legit. They, they were fining people $5,000 for not being vaccinated. Wild. But, so keep an eye on anyone. Think of anyone that told you to get vaccinated. Yep. And forced you, compelled you to get vaccinated. Yep. And just let's see who's left on the... Uh, it'd be cool if we could do like a, a board and just see how many of them... Uh, fall off because I think it'll be all of them I, I agree I mean really the only ones that you've got left like the key ones would be Dan Andrews uh, 
Brett Sutton, the health minister from uh, Victoria, and also Anastasia Palaszczuk. Palaszczuk. Yeah. But I can't remember if we spoke about it on the podcast, but Palaszczuk, yeah. I don't think she's leaving because she has fortified her position by, like, her, the, the, COVID golden, the COVID queens of Queensland were Palaszczuk, Jeanette Young, who was the, health, the chief health officer, and Yvette Darth, who was the health minister during the pandemic. So Jeanette Young got promoted to the governor of the state a year ago, and Yvette Darth, a month ago, just got promoted to uh, the Attorney General of the state. Yeah. So in other words, if you have a vote of no confidence in the Premier, the only two people that you can go to to actually um, action the vote of no confidence are now her besties. So yeah. she's bedding in for the long haul. And uh, I, I don't know, Tassie in South Australia, they were pretty quiet to the whole thing. I don't even know who they are. Well, I don't know either, but I know that South Australia has just passed new laws uh, against protesters. Yeah, man. Mm. Um, but sorry, just to speak about McGowan a little bit more as well, uh, we did cover recently about some of the COVID expenditure, like the $600 million he spent on rats. And there's more and more information sort of starting to come out. But one of the other key things too, which is interesting about Western Australia, is when... When all the data... Sorry, Tasmanian Premier Peter Goodwin, he did resign as well. Oh, of course he did. Yeah, he did too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I forgot about yeah, that. Sorry. Yeah. And they all and they all say the same thing. Oh, I'm just exhausted. Yeah. I'm exhausted. It takes a lot out of you. Um, Lifting those fat cash. Yeah, letting my people get murdered so I can make fat stacks of cash is exhausting. Yeah. Um, but with McGowan, so... What's going to be so interesting when the dust all settles on the pandemic for anyone who's actually paying attention, I might actually have to go back and do this myself because no mainstream media source is going to do it. But don't forget, Western Australia was the hermit kingdom. They they are the control group for COVID because they locked them, they locked everyone out for like 12 months. Like their borders were locked down for far longer than anyone else's was. And what is interesting is they have experienced the same amount of excess deaths as everywhere else in the country, including it started in 2021 when they didn't even have any COVID. Yeah. So I wonder what happened in 2021 that might have caused excess deaths in Western Australia. Must have been an overabundance of whale shark attacks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So keep an eye on it. Yeah. uh, I'll do some research on that and I'll come to you guys with some figures, I think. I think I think we'll leave it there. All right. There's some other there's some stuff that we'll bring into next week. But yeah, um, we we've got plenty more to talk about next week. Stick around, yeah, guys. We'll yeah. see you then. Bye bye.